This is the most like unnaturally we've probably le- ever led into an episode. Come on, ever. I have. I we have an audience. Great now. at yeah, well, yeah. For once, we have an audience. <laughs> hey, thank you very um, much for listening yeah. to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies that we saw at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Trilon Cinema. I am Jason, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. And I'm Harry. You can find me at Shiitake Harry. And we have a very special guest on the show today to d- discuss today's movie. Uh, Griffin Filipich is joining us via Skype. Woo-woo! Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. Where can people find I'm you, Philip? I'm not on Twitter. I don't engage in frivolous things like that. Just kidding. Wow. wow. No, no, get, very get good our take. ass. Absolutely. <laughs> Drag it's me. It's not true at all. I, I waste all of my days away there. Oh, okay. Well, that's <laughs> well, cool, too. We felt really good about you for about <laughs> 10 seconds. Um, uh, and I guess I guess I want to know, uh, so we are connected to you through a mutual friend, Jenny Ackerson. Please be on our podcast yeah. someday, Jenny Ackerson. We're not hey. going to put so much effort into it again. <laughs> uh, but uh, tell us what, um, uh, do you, have you been to the Trilon before? No, I went to University of Minnesota, uh, and until however long ago, too long ago, but I just did not think about it and never went there while I lived there. And now I feel like an idiot. So the next time I visit, yeah, I didn't know about it until after I had graduated from the University of Minnesota as well. Um, I think that's yeah. true of you as well, Cody. Right? Yeah, I, I don't think I went to it while I was a student. It was definitely exclusively after yeah. I had graduated. So I didn't know about the Trilon Cinema bef- until I moved here from Indiana. So yeah, I feel from like where? the biggest idiot of them all from uh, Michigan. I th- um, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, so I and you you've been looped into this uh, just by association. Then you've you're joining us for Ninochka based on just mutual. I rec- yeah, just like a couple months ago, I threw. I think she, Jenny had the idea because I, out of the blue, we just talk about movies a lot back and forth texting, and I asked her if she had seen any Lubitsch, and she said no. I recommended uh, To Be or Not To Be and Shop Around the Corner, which I just watched yesterday, actually, too, just because it's the season. And nice. I believe it's um, uh, it's on your letterbox as one of your favorite movies, isn't it? It is, yeah. Hell I yeah. love that movie. Um, so... I think when she heard you guys were doing this, she thought of me, and uh, that's what brought us all here together today. Excellent, so that's beautiful. Thank you. So we are we are uh, relying on you to be the expert guest witness <laughs> on <laughs> Ernst Lubitsch. <laughs> uh, so our history with Lubitsch is pretty well uh, codified already on the podcast, where um, I believe for all of us, to be or not to be, was the first, yeah. uh, and this is going to be the second. Today we're going to be talking about Ninochka, the um, I think it's his immediate next film, wasn't it? Was it? Uh, maybe Nanachka was. This is thirty-seven. When was to be or not to be? Forty-two. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, so that it makes actually sense. Pre- pre- it actually preceded it. Um, but uh, 1937 uh, Ernst Lubitsch film starring Greta Garbo and what's his name uh, Melvin, <laughs> Melvin Douglas. Douglas. I don't know. I don't know We're Melvin so Douglas for anything else. Greta Garbo is obviously the most important. So you got that yeah. one right. The only important one. Uh, quick plot summary is that Melvin Douglas is uh, in good with uh, the former. Uh, Empress of Prussia or something? Grand Duchess. Grand Duchess, um, whose jewels were seized when the communists took over in Soviet Russia. Um, uh, That turns into a plot line where one of the agents of the USSR shows up to uh, uh, retrieve those, um, those jewels. And she is sort of shown the wonders, the splendors of of, of modern capitalist society by uh, Melvin Douglas's character named Leon Dalgote. 
who's a like a leisure class um I don't know if it's ever made explicit, but um, I think he's a property owner, isn't he? He has a lot of uh, very like he has power of attorney over what uh, the Duchess right uh, over her over her belongings. Which he's sort of like a classical scoundrel where th- he got that position by seducing her, mm-hmm. and that's he's sort of what he does. Is he's a yeah he's a semi professional, literally professional playboy. Uh, and and eventually, once the Count and Nanachka, uh, which is actually the shortened version of a long name of Greta Garbo's character Nina Ivanova Yakushova, Yakushova, right. um, known as Nanachka, she is the agent who is sent from the USSR to retrieve those goods in. France. Uh, this story takes place in Paris. I forgot to mention that. Um, I'm really good at this. Uh, and <laughs> we don't have Aaron with us tonight, so yeah. we don't have the patented Grossman summary. Yeah, we're winding down, which means we don't have Aaron. Which, <laughs> in, in that case, we would not be winding down for the next ten minutes because his patented summaries are always ten minutes long. Um, uh, they fall in with each other, slowly fall in love, and start to teach each other the sort of uh, merits of their uh, recital cultures and yeah. ideologies, and like economic uh, ideation, right, where she is a very, like, hard Stalin communist, um, and he is enjoying the uh, fruits of capitalism in, in Paris. Um, later on, the plot gets, as, as those jewels become uh, under more scrutiny and are, like, fought over by both sides, um, the plot gets a little more intense, uh, well, not intense, but a more immediate in the last half hour or so. But that's that's the heart of it is is Nanachka and the Count sort of um, their tête-à-tête, their playful back and forth. Well, and the, and the love story between Nanachka and Leon. Is that? What? I think you're both saying the same thing. Yeah, I said oh. playful back and forth between the Count oh. and Nanachka. Gotcha. I thought you meant the Duchess. Sorry again. Uh, for me, the, the crux of this movie was the uh, the love story between the two main right. characters. <laughs> Griffin, what was the heart of this <laughs> film? The beating heart of this movie was... If, it, if you had to narrow it down I'm to all, I understand. I like uh, Iranoff and uh, Bulyanov. Those three. It was really the story <laughs> of them just break, rocking yes. shit that, having fun. That's probably a great place to start is because we start on <laughs> them. the movie starts, yeah. Yeah, in, in, as they are ambassadors bringing these jewels to uh, France, to Paris. Um, and we center on uh, Ilyanov, Bulyanov, and... Uh, Kapalski and Kapalski, unfair yep. to Kapalski, uh, and they are um, sort of reticent capitalists. They are very, uh, you know, a couple. You mean of reticent communists? Reticent communists. Yeah. Sorry, they are um, sort of. Uh, they're very. They feel very free in Paris, being able to take advantage of. Uh, their, <laughs> they. Um, the the line. One of the lines that begins the movie is like, "Can you imagine if we ring the bell three times?" Uh, a woman is sent up to her room, a French maid. Imagine if we ring the bell nine times and then they run in the, into the hotel. Yeah, this movie's really at. funny. Uh, like to be or not to be. It's another um, Melchior, uh, how do you pronounce L- that, did you say? Melchior Lengiel joint? Lengiel joint, yeah. It's another Melchior joint. Uh, another classic collab between Melchior and uh, Lubitsch, um, like that movie was. And it really shows in uh, the sharpness of mm-hmm. the wit. Um, and writing in this movie throughout it's almost yeah. like nearly overwritten in the same way that uh, to be or not to be was where there's just a lot of a lot and a lot of dialogue or I think it's it, all really great at least idiosyncratically written right mm-hmm. like you can tell that this is a Lubitsch joint yeah uh, we're probably getting a little far into the story and the making of before we decide like uh, how how did we feel about this film did everybody seem to like it well enough um I guess I can start sure. I was very afraid I wasn't going to like it uh, mostly because um, the Melchior's, you know, the the boy, Melchior himself, um, he he pitched this movie, Nanachka, um, 
at a like a poolside conference in 1937, right? And he the three sentence pitch that he did was Russian girl saturated with Bolshevist ideals goes to fearful capitalistic mon- uh, monopolistic Paris. She meets romance and has an uproarious good time. Capitalism not so bad after all. Uh, and uh, spoilers for our podcast, I guess, and longtime listeners were no that doesn't appeal to me particularly <laughs> well. Uh, and so I was pretty I was pretty worried that this movie was going to be. Mm-hmm. A, a celebration of yeah. capitalism, I guess. Which it it it's interesting, right? And I think that th- this movie is 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 a lot more nuanced and a lot more interested in depicting the psychology of people in competing economic ideologies yeah. than I expected. Yeah, let's... and so I was able to really enjoy it, um, despite having going in with my dukes up, so to speak. Yeah, let's talk about if that three sentence summary uh, Bolshevik turned. Uh, capitalist. <clears throat> if that's well, I want like to know how everybody else felt first. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're right. Let's go back. But, yeah, Cody. Um, I uh, I had fun with uh, this Ninotchka yarn. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that as awkwardly as I did. Um, the uh, and I think I may we may or may not have touched on this, or uh, I think I maybe said it off air when we were talking about to be or not to be but there was this part uh, separating the first and second act where the like the movie had laid some groundwork and um, we were transitioning to a new stage of the movie and I wasn't sure what that movie was or what it wanted to be and that was about like 15 minutes of me just in uncertain waters and I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not um, where would you say that was in that the was, movie? Uh, so in, in To Be or Not To Be, it was, uh, you know, we, we get introduced to the acting troupe, and then um, the war happens, um, to put it bluntly. And then... Um, uh, oh, I know exactly where you're yeah, talking Lover about. Yeah, Loverboy is in the war, and they're, they're trying to stop the, um, the, the doctor from um, uh, using the names he's collected to, like, murder a bunch of people. And um, and then eventually we would find our way back to the um, to uh, Carol Lombard and, and company, uh, and the the buildup paid off, and it did in this movie too. I think I had some concern early on, where um, I didn't really know because like it, it's a it's a delayed reveal with like Greta Garbo doesn't show up for the first. I would what we'd say like fifteen twenty ish minutes of this movie, um, yeah, and that reveal works, and like the the every other character is laid out. Yeah, um, before spend, that, you yeah. get this like this interesting sort of denouement uh, of, of these three like puckish sort of um, figures who sort of like like almost do a pantomime of the themes of the movie in mm-hmm. a really interesting way. Yeah, uh, for like the first fifteen minutes until Garbo shows up, and it is funny. But you're right in that there's a like a notable shift when Garbo yeah. shows up and right. the movie starts to happen. Yeah, right? and it it really does like, and I can't reiterate how much or, or enough how much it works because um, Irinov, Bulyanov, and Kapalski, they're they're wreaking havoc on this hotel. Um, they're they're getting increasingly rambunctious, and then the first shot we get of Greta Garbo is just this stern, no nonsense person. And it was mm-hmm. then where I was like, all right, like I am. I'm buckled in. I'm I'm really ready to <laughs> to see what happens. Um, and it was yeah. I don't know. I, I had a I had a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Greta Garbo laughs. <laughs> yeah. Well, the- you're right. If you don't mind me, yeah, go yeah, for it. Saying you're right that they kind of their stories, the the three comrades and and Anoshka's story play out sort of the same way. They're lured into the capitalistic society or whatever. Sort of seduced uh, they're by lured it. by the charms of Paris in the same way. It's just 
uh, with them, it's the broad comedy and hers is a romantic sort of uh, change that happens. But it also they also kind of flip it a little bit. I just like the way she goes back and forth and how she feels and, and the way that we feel about her interacting with this society. Like, when she shows up, we like those guys, uh, but we also don't respect them. Exactly. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and so it, it's kind of a weird thing where even I imagine they expected that the viewers of this movie would not agree with the, the Bolshevik mentality. Right. But at the same time, you're kind of like, hey, you said that those were your principles. Uh, you're going to be made into clowns if you go go against them. Uh, and then when she shows up, there's it's kind of a balm. It's nice to see them get uh, rebuked the way that she does. And you like her for being the way that she is at first. Yeah. But later, you also like seeing her press against her ideology and, and get seduced in the same that, way that they were. It, it, yeah, you're it, sort of seduced. Like that, kind of the whole movie. You're sort yeah. of seduced by her seduction, right? Because like, like watching her have so much fun and watching her sort of come into experiencing emotions uninhibited in an unrepressed manner is like really charming, especially because it's Greta Garwig. Well, Gar- yeah. Garbo. Garwig. Because- <laughs> Greta Garwig. Yeah. Uh, big- what, what all of you are saying makes like total sense because it... Like you said, it starts out with that broader, like, explicit, almost slapstick comedy with the mm-hmm. three with uh Reminded me Ironoff. of uh, the guys from Hidden Fortress from the beginning yeah, of that movie. Yeah, where yeah. exactly. Yeah. Where they're just there as, like, the impish, uh, cartoony characters. Uh, and then we really get to, like, <clears throat> the 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 exact, like, pendulum swung in, in, in Ninochka's character where she's, like, a complete stony-faced, uh, by-the-book uh, straight up and down, like she rebukes them for having such a lavish hotel room. That's a really good she point. She asks what corner of her room is of the room is theirs or is hers when it's like this lavish uh, penthouse suite. Um, and and the fact that they are so clownish and humorous that juxtaposition to this person who is so stern and so um, harsh. Um, it like really sells the harshness of her situation exactly, and sort of represents what. Uh, Bolshevik or Stalin's Russia, Stalin's Soviet Union, uh, it means in this movie. Mm. is like a repressed sort of um, domineering uh, anger. And it works that so well because uh, and kind of like Harry, I had, you know, my presuppositions about the movie going in and in those first like 15 minutes or so before we meet Ninochka, uh, I started to get the feeling that maybe it was going to be like that movie Mm. where we had... um, uh, you know, just the 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 joy and the foil, the 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 like pleasures of capitalism and the person who's going to reject them at every turn. Um, but that like the harshness of her personality is only used to later be broken down, right? By saying, and that's one of the, like coming back to why I like the movie is because it is um, not uh, showing you know capitalism's pretty good actually. It's like you can have nice things and be a good person. It's it, like you can have these moral convictions about what society should be like, and you can enjoy like the capacity of nice things in life. You can enjoy. You can, you can allow enjoy yourself joy. Yeah, specifically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, uh, I think that if if there is like an overarching theme or message to the movie, I think it's it's that like you don't need to be closed off to experiences of the world. You do not need to be isolated. Uh, as in a order person to, of yourself, you can allow yourself love and right. joy. Because and, that was something that she was pretty heavily repressing. And not betray your values, right? Yeah. Like, her values are standing together with her people and, like, working toward the common good. And she sees that as, like, 
her it's it kind of is reflective a little bit of how Greta Garbo was in real life apparently mm. uh, where like she preferred solitude uh, and yet like working toward the common good yeah I, and and moreover uh, where the sort of legitimately nuanced criticism of this movie comes in I, it seems to be implying especially in the the final scenes when we actually get to see Stalin's Soviet Union and the secret police and the repression of the people living there that that uh, moreover not only is it all right for you to allow yourself the joys of, of humanity and uh, in turn to have empathy for the, the struggles and um, imperfections of and idiosyncrasies of other people, but any culture or any ideology that says that those things aren't acceptable is evil, right? Or is, mm-hmm. is something that, that leads to repression and persecution. Um, Griffin made a really good point that, like, I think uh, what what you had said is that the movie does a really good job of training you who to like and who not to like. Um, and I think that that's like, that's like one of the, the really key parts that made me like this movie is that like, I think that, that my enjoyment sort of personally, sorry to make this personal, but like my enjoyment of this movie rested on how much I was able to relate to and empathize with, um, Greta Garbo's character. And like, she is the POV character and the character that we are meant to sympathize with Mm -hmm. or, um, like the most probably, right? Yeah, um, I definitely like. That's interesting. I, I think. Uh, I mean, it's it's her movie. It's the title. Uh, I didn't see her as a POV character, but I I could see seeing it that way. For me, uh, Leon is the way in because he's an Amer. Well, he, he he's not an American, but he uh, is interested in materialism the way that we are, and and regards her as a sort of an oddity. But he's also in char- charmed by her and, and attracted to her but also doesn't understand her at all. That That is sort of where I came in. But, um, but I think you're right. Yeah. It is about her journey and right. Sorry. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It's a fish out of water movie and she's more the fish. Yeah. I, I guess by POV, I meant that like we're, we're supposed to experience her arc and journey, but you're right in the sense yeah. that like we are, we are Leon. We, mm-hmm. the audience. Well, like with Leon, there's no arc for us because we live in a capitalist society because we're used to seeing yeah. these, these visions, right? Uh, like we're used to the weird hat she's she ends up buying and wearing because that's something ostensibly. That, yeah. I've never seen a hat like that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but because there is no like, I don't know. I guess we're getting a little bit into the weeds about character, but like generally, I don't think Leon has much of an arc necessarily. That, that, what do you guys think about like because Nanachka is maybe again arguably or arguably not the POV character. But is clearly the one who undergoes the most change in the movie. The character to watch, certainly. Yeah. Uh, so, what does everybody think about like the arcs of other characters? Because, like, you could go to Ilyanov et al. and say that they have uh, that they have an arc uh, in that like that happens in the first five minutes where they're um, like they want to experience all the pleasures of capitalism immediately, and that's like their arc is they got off the plane and they start. It's, it's comical how quickly they're seduced. Exactly, right? and yeah. then it's like. It's slower and more like contemplative how slowly and uh, romantic and romantic uh, and sexual how Ninochka comes around to that. Right. Uh, but Leon is just sort of always the dastard, always like the dashing bastard. I guess. So I should let somebody else talk. Well, I was just going to say that um, I, I love romantic comedies. It's like my favorite genre. So this is right up. I, I like the way this one's positioned. And it looks like a, I think Anthony Lane or David Denby, I can't remember, some New Yorker writer talked about 
romantic comedies as the drawbridge, like watching both sides come down and meet in the middle. And that's that's what you long for. So the drawbridge. But this one, it is pretty lopsided. Like they intimate, they, they hint at him changing in the way that she does. He has a, a cop, he has a Mark's book on his bedside table that his his butler is uh, confused and, and, and frightened by at some point in the movie. But they don't follow that through very right. far. Totally. That's a very good... Yeah. I think that, that uh, I completely agree with that. And I think that the movie, uh, like Griffin said, it gestures at it. It gestures at it both with the sort of comical plot with Marx and with the butler, but um, in, a, in a less purely comedic sense in his changing relationship with the Grand Duchess. Um, I think the movie wants to create the drawbridge, and it kind of mm. wants to suggest that Leon sort of develops a soul out of his interest sure. in Nanachka, where he actually yeah. comes to sort of like empathize with the plight of other people and uh, acknowledge that the way he's been living wow. was at the expense of other people. Yeah, like I, I didn't consider the Duchess as maybe a it's, foil, right? As a foil because uh, his interactions with her don't begin and end with like near the beginning, but I thought that at the beginning of the movie we were setting up for like uh, it's it's the trope of like man is involved with woman, finds another woman, and becomes involved with her, and he's got to decide. But it's not that. He, like, drops the Duchess, and apparently they're involved since from the beginning of the movie. She's, like, getting dressed around him and, like, uh, kissing him and stuff. And in, not not in, like, a not in like an equal term sense, right? Like, he's like her paramour, yeah, sort of, it's implied. Yeah. He's, like, the, the seductor. Right, and then he sort of, like, drops her, uh, plays at Ninochka for the rest of the movie. Uh, but the times that they do come back to the Duchess... Um, she is then portrayed as more and more like evil. She is then like, she's the subject of many a good barb when Nanashka meets her. And she's like, uh, she has the quip about the lashes. Of yeah. The, well, I mean, she was, a, she was a part of the, uh, ruling class in Russia, pre-Soviet mm-hmm. overthrow that enslaved the underclass and mm-hmm. was, uh, subsequently thrown out of Russia by the Soviet revolution. Right. Um, and so when, you know, a, a true believer in the cause, Nanachka, um, confronts Grand Duchess Swana. They have uh, that that scene that you just mentioned is is some of the craziest, most sharp uh, writing in this movie. Where the movie stops being a comedy and starts becoming like this, this like um, like blood curdling political thriller for like just a second. Where they they have that exchange. Do you remember exactly how the exchange goes? I I don't. Uh, Are you talking the at that at the party. at that gala? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that well, scene? And they're arguing about politics, but he is. They're also arguing about him as the subtext that they're kind of fighting for him, uh, and it just kind of gets all muddy and, and weird. I, I, you're right, though, that the politics of this movie are very much front and center. But there's in a in terms of like materialism versus socialism, but then there's also this other thing about the sort of brutality of 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 the of the bolsheviks at, at that time and and the censorship of, you know stuff like that that sort of finds its way in more through the side door uh and makes the stakes feel very real like the idea that bolyanov and Iranov and kapalski will probably be killed if anyone back at home knows truly how they're conducting themselves but at the same time it's played for such broad comedy um that's this weird thing that runs through the, the whole thing and kind of comes to a point in that scene you're talking about. I think you. Right. Uh, there is what we mentioned in our episode on to be or to not to be was or to not to be <laughs> um, to Nachka was uh, the Lubitsch touch 
<clears throat> as described uh, by other filmmakers, like contemporary filmmakers in Hollywood, um, was the ability to balance that like darkness, that like seriousness, with a very light and jovial tone, uh, and not have either feel out of place in the same movie. Um, and I, I guess only two movies into that filmography, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that means instead of just in retrospect applying it to what I've seen. Uh, but it sounds like is that something that you think works to make – and I'm asking Griffin specifically because you already mentioned your your uh, fondness for rom-coms. Um, is that something that you think works in its favor to make this a good rom good romantic comedy? Like is, is, is that like push and pull effective? Like uh, between drama and comedy or – Yeah. I guess so. You have to – I mean I, when I think of older romantic comedies, I think of um, – you know, screwball and, uh, which don't do much of that at all. It's, it's very off the wall and zany and, and, and doesn't have the sort of dramatic beats that you expect from romantic comedies. Now, even if you dread them, uh, you know, they're going to be there. Uh, so this has a little more of that. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of think of that as separate from the romance a little bit. I mean, it's all inextricable. It's all kind of stewed together, but I don't, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I, I struggle with that Ernst uh, with the Lubitsch touch phrase a little bit altogether. Like, I don't know if any. I think it was just a PR mechanism at the time. I don't know if anybody <laughs> has a, a a work a truly working definition. I like yours, but I think in parsing through some things today and 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 getting to know his work a little better in the past year or so, it seems like everybody has their own definition. But um, yeah, um, if, yeah. Uh, if we use, uh, you know, if we keep the the idea of the Lubitsch touch around just as uh, a lens for viewing I guess the two Lubitsches that we've seen at the trial on so far to be or not to be I feel like dances around that line a little more fluidly um, and more rapidly than than Ninochka. I feel like uh, like I the scenes that I think about like the the gala has that like we said that the, that really sharply written conversation between um, Ninochka and Duchess Swana, and then they proceed to to pivot away from that pretty consciously, and they start drinking a lot, and then it's uh, it's the morning after, and then it's a very somber conversation again between Ninochka and the Duchess, um, and we're you know she she kind of gives her that that ultimatum um, that threatens the relationship between Ninochka and Leon, and. I feel like the 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 more slow conscious turns between the the jovialness and is that a word the the jovial the jovial stuff and the, <laughs> the less jovial stuff allows us to like digest the stakes a little bit more, mm-hmm. which maybe makes for a more uh, a more engaging romantic comedy the, because we're we're allowed the time to sit with these emotions with these stakes for a little bit longer. Sure, that's uh, a good point. Go ahead, Jason. I, Sorry. I was literally just writing a note about how this movie, whereas, and Harry's probably got uh, good thoughts to bounce off this too. Almost never. Ouch. Uh, in To Be or Not To Be, it does that, you use the word flu- fluid or yeah. like with some fluidity. It does that because the plot is so goddamn dense in that movie. <laughs> like there's totally. a, literally a, a game changing thing that happens in every single scene. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed I, to this I movie. I absolutely love that movie and I don't know. I couldn't tell you what happens in it at all. Like I couldn't come close. <laughs> I loved it. I really did. I I know Hitler was there. 
<laughs> a couple of Hitlers were there. Yeah. <laughs> you should write a history book. Uh, no, I, I, I too love to be or not not to be because it is like it's completely madcap, right? Uh, yeah. And yeah. and uh, Ninochka still like manages that that tone. It manages to feel um, just as I guess lighthearted and fun without being so dense. Uh, but it does offload that responsibility onto two specific characters and their scenes in a diner. And their scenes at a gala, and their scenes, you know, drunk at, in in a bedroom, sort of thing. Uh, I and it's a wonder, like in feeling back. You know how you look back at a film, and you see that like bar graph of moments that dipped, and it's like, well, right there is where, like, if I'm being honest, it like it slowed down. I don't know that this movie had that, despite like almost no real plot motion happens in like the middle third. It's just. The the the, the well the count. two falling in love right yeah just the count and Ninochka having meet cutes over and over, um, and I think it was wise to uh, to push that the responsibility of of the movie of that like of that dancing of that feeling onto those two characters because they are both so strongly like written and strongly acted yeah um so I I guess I I'm not I, obviously I'm not qualified I don't think any of us in this room maybe Griffin is uh is qualified to sort of theorize about the Lubitsch touch but on the basis of these two movies that we've seen so far um what struck me about it is that uh these are really bold framing choices right are like f- f- bold uh plot choices in bold settings uh it's it's wild to me that that a man could decide to make uh, madcap, hilarious um, romantic comedies in the 30s and 40s and make them about uh, Bolshevik Russia and uh, Poland in World War II, right? I like it, that's, that's incredible to think about. Like, these are contemporaneous issues that he is approaching with um, a satirical, farcical, um, playful style while keeping it completely well completely foregrounding the politics and the nuances of the politics and um the the way that those politics and those ideologies manifest in and affect the lives of the people living in them mm-hmm. i this is it's it's such a flex right i mean it, it's like he's uh, you know, griffin brought up that like like so many romantic comedies are are madcap and there's this sort of implication that that romantic comedy itself is a frivolous genre mm-hmm. that it that it's something that's fun and silly and not really serious or not worth uh, critiquing or taking seriously or, or thinking about meaningfully. And that's absolutely not what we did with these two movies. Right, right. right. Uh, I wonder, and this is a question for the table, are these movies that effective, that funny, that galling just because they're from that time? Like, we can look back and have cursory knowledge of the things that were actually happening and still say, well, damn, that happened, like, while Warsaw was being bombed. This movie was you coming You brought this out. up in To Be or Not To Be as well, yeah, right? I, I, I still, yeah. like, it's the same question here, and it's telling. that it, It's, like, really nice, I think, that I can watch two movies, uh, not of me, but of the filmmaker, two movies by the same filmmaker, and feel the same, like, thing. It's a very strong presence, is that... that he, yeah, that's what I'm trying to account for with that yeah, theory, right? It's is like, that he's created a space that, like, I don't know if, if that movie were made today that it would hit like that even if it were somebody sure. who had first hand knowledge or like was yeah. very like very well respected in their knowledge of the of, of the thing that happened um, is it just that it's you know it's ha- like you learn that it happened during that time and that's why it's impressive that's why it's funny 
Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that's funny. I, uh, it's tough. I mean, I can't remove myself from that. The whole time I was watching To Be or Not to Be, I was blown away by that. Um, the fact that it was forty-two. Yeah, that's Uh, wild. Nanashka, a little less so. I felt very modern in watching it because, like you, I was kind of on edge. Like, is this going to agree with me? Uh, Boy, it (laughs) would be horrible if it didn't. What a disaster! (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) how dare they? It's 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 confusing, right? A little bit uh, to like try and put yourself in those in that headspace, but I it's a headspace I can't find myself getting out of. Like, I love that this movie was made while like immediately after these things were issues, or while these things were issues. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I just can't think of like a comparison. If a movie about Donald Trump came out tomorrow, I would be very it's, upset and I would not watch it because it's, it's like probably Peele, embarrassing. Right? I mean, yeah. it, it's like it's like that methodology or ideology of of filmmaking of, of oh, you, like you compared it to jordan peele yeah i like yeah. that's explicitly socially conscious explicitly explicitly foregrounding the social issues of our time mm-hmm. and the political issues of our time uh through the realm of genre fiction right i mean like like to me it seems like lubich is literally like like trying to make statements about uh romantic comedy as form uh as a form that is valid for exploring serious contemporaneous mm-hmm. issues in a similar way that that like somebody like Jordan Peele is is exploring with um the horror genre now it's a that's a weird comparison but that was the first one that came to my oh, mind I like it. uh i'm sure my experience is not the norm uh i'm really bad at um placing things in appropriate historical contexts uh i've never really latched on to that uh to that type of of thought it's something i'm trying to get better with um I watch a movie like Ninotchka. I think there is enough uh, in this movie, at least, to frame the situation without, you know, even, you know, us, our 2019 asses, you know, looking at this in retrospect. I think there's enough context here. You can see the visual, like, tug and, uh, you know, push and pull to know, even if you don't have, you know, the, the decades on context to understand specifically what's happening and that that is mo- that it's modeling a real experience. I feel like you know enough to know that these two probably by by all accounts shouldn't be together and that they are ultimately working uphill. Um for me that's enough. Um, yeah, it's the odd couple, right? Like yeah. it's it's a classic plot construction in romantic comedy. The the twist being that uh the reasons these two will never get together are not like when Harry met Sally where one's a cynic and one's an optimist. It's like, oh, one's a fucking Bolshevik uh communist and one is a dyed in the wool like landlord capitalist right which is wild like that's a that's a wild pitch to have Um, to make class the boundary between them like not just class but like basic social ideology is just like it's like it's like it's like you said it being a commentary on the form is like how far can we stretch these two characters apart and and still have them like yeah. rubber band back to each Which other. Which is why I think that that um, I have ambivalent feelings about your question about whether or not like if we can remove the um, quality of these movies from the historical perspective. Mm-hmm. Because like on the one hand, like no, obviously not. I I don't think right. Like it would be weird to try to do that. Right. Um, but but also like the writing is just so good in this movie and that's the flex i was talking about where it feels like lubich is at least to me and i don't want to like speak for the author or whatever but but it feels like he's he's trying to say like look like if we're this good at 
romantic comedies and at like exploring the psychology of falling in love nothing is off limits right Hmm. and it still kind of feels that way to me like it feels like he makes that argument pretty well in this because like I really liked watching Leon and uh, Ninochka fall in love a whole bunch right right (laughs) and like it's it's there's something timeless uh, in that to me Um, well I yeah oh sorry I know please I think that goes for a lot of I've only, I've what I've seen like six or seven Lubitsch movies so the grain of salt but it's um in the ones that I have seen especially because a common complaint about romantic comedy today is that everybody's rich and they don't talk about it it's <laughs> like you could it's okay uh, you know like Nancy Myers who I love but that's oh. that's that's the, a common refrain is that they're all redoing their kitchens and acting like that's a normal thing to do every six months but um. And so the the rebuttal to that is like, okay, so there should be romantic comedies with people of all classes, which is true. There should. Yeah. And But you couldn't necessarily point to movies of Lubitsch, with a couple exceptions, and say that's, you see, like that. Because they're often about very rich, way richer people, actually, than Nancy Myers is writing about. <laughs> These is like mm. literal royalty uh, in a bunch of cases, not just in this movie. Uh, the exception is Shop Around the Corner, but it still has sympathy for its uh, more... More uh, wealthy characters, but um, inst- it gets away with it to a better extent because the movies are about their class and about their they're wealth. foregrounded, uh, yeah, foregrounded exactly. So, and uh, I think in this one and in a, in a couple others, it's like about the way that you make money, spend money, uh, are situated in your class, how that affects uh, you know the way you regard yourself when you're alone and the way you make your way through the world as a singular person and then falling in love. And this might be a stretch. You tell me falling in love kind of strips that away and uh, makes you into your most full and like natural self. And you can only do that with somebody else. That's certainly the argument that this movie seems to be making, right? Is that like, like the, the seduction, it's not, this this isn't a cynical movie, right? Like it's it's no. a profoundly not cynical movie, I think, which is maybe it's it's like big redeeming grace and what saves it from the criticism that I was fearful of, because uh, Griffin, like you said, like we're we're never given the sense that Nanachka is simply seduced by capitalism. She actualizes through her love, right? Like it's it's a means of her experiencing who she really is. Uh, and and the emotions and um, feelings and um, selfhood that she had repressed because of it's implied the authoritarian re- regime she was living under, um, they're they're made to manifest through the love. And so, in effect, she's falling in love not just with Leon, but with this idea of who she is, mm-hmm. which is sort of the argument of a lot of romantic comedies <laughs> um, in a really um, beautiful way. Um, so yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. It's really interesting to add that nuance to the nuance of class and politics to that argument, um, because like uh, Griffin said, a lot of lesser romantic comedies kind of get away with washing that stuff out, right? It's like we can we can get around the way that that class interferes with these two people falling in love by not really addressing it or mm-hmm. we can we can get around uh race or politics by not really addressing them um and and coming up with more sort of arcane differences that we can suss out right or in you know some of the more uh devious tropes i guess like 
if it is class, if it is income separating two people, it's like how who, where are they going to meet? Is the rich man going to deign to meet the the peasant woman? Is the peasant woman going to, uh, you know, work her way up and pretend to be rich? Uh, this movie doesn't really like 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 you said it, it sort of uh, makes those two makes the drawbridge kiss at that point of of that of the, at that midway point. It sort of does, and then it kind of takes it back. You know, I feel like her. If we're going to stick with this thing that I please, please. Sorry, I but, like it a lot. I wish everybody could see your hand gestures. My hands. The, the drawbridge going up. Is this down. useful for a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Hers is like up and down the whole time into very like she's never settled until the very end. But even that is in a weird. They sort of skirt the issue actually, which is it doesn't ruin the movie. I don't think they kind of just instead of truly reconciling their differences and coming to terms with them. I guess she's kind of forced to, but it sort of seems like they just sort of uh, uh, trick the system and just sort of shimmy out the back door, you know, like instead of truly uh, coming to a rationalized like decision about how they feel about all this stuff, which yeah. is fine. Uh, um, yeah, that you're right. That like, like the way that they get around it is that, uh, Ninochka sort of conveniently forgets this deep abiding obligation she has to the underclass that sort of defined her early. Well, yeah, let's character. Yeah. There's what point is it at which she is it in the diner where the, where they have that big laughing scene like that two minutes of just uproarious joyful laughter is that when he's where just she's screaming start? at her for not laughing at his jokes? That's a good look. I always like that. <laughs> Yo, I watched that and I was like, hey, Leon, I can relate. Like nobody, nobody thinks I'm funny either. <laughs> Me when a tweet doesn't get fired. <laughs> uh, I I was interested, like because of my preconceptions going into the movie, and because of what it was like slowly turning out to be. That is the moment where I started to realize that was a turning point, right? But not. I guess we didn't get to see much intern. Uh, what is the term? Intern? Not internality. Interiority. Interiority. Um, from from her in that scene because it's all about him. It's all about him trying to make her laugh. Yeah. Uh, that then once she comes out of that scene and she gets back and she starts to you know d- uh, like there's the next scene is her like on official business and uh, and, right. and the three ambassadors are all around her crowding her and uh, and asking for her opinion on things and she just can't keep her mind straight on it. She can't focus because she's thinking about what happened yesterday. Um, like is that that. I'm not mad about it, but I don't know that that was an effective turning point for me. I I think – sorry, go ahead, Griffin. No, no, no. I was just going to say I agree. I I really like this movie. That scene doesn't really work for me, and it is kind of crucial. I more prefer their first – when she first goes back to his apartment uh, on the first night they meet, I love that scene. And um, where there's really no break in her stoicism at all. But she just plainly says, like, I'm attracted to you. It's a, a trick of biology or whatever. Something along those lines. I love that scene, and I can't explain it. It doesn't make as much sense. There's no, you know, if you're following her character, you're like, oh, he's finally cracked her with that big laugh, so now they can fall in love. But I like that it's a little irrational before that, and there's something special. Yeah, that's that a great scene. point. The laugh, I don't know. I, I, I did struggle. His jokes are so bad. that's true they are really bad um i have no way to contextualize this i don't know because like greta garbo laughing is like was a thing yeah like it uh, like and we've kind of we a number of us have said it i mean it feels like 
she like you know she uh, enters the scene through one end of the tunnel we don't see really what happens to her character like we're we're not vibing with her at all um you know we don't it feels like nothing really happens nothing really changes she comes out of the tunnel and like all of a sudden her character is transformed and it's just like largely unexplained uh because he's not that funny um <laughs> but like i i i'd be interested to hear or or to know you know from the time uh you know, like is is that film or is that scene largely, you know, just kind of leaning on the fact that we're waiting for this uh, famously stoic actress to to break, and then that's like that that does a lot of the work for them. Um, not, not to like take anything away from Lubitsch, but I, you know, I'm gonna have a new opinion from the one I just had uh, ten minutes ago. In that, I think a little bit of how I can justify that in my own head is like classic romantic comedy trope she didn't even realize the change that she was undergoing yeah. yep. like she suddenly, also, yeah, really she found point. it as suddenly like changed and she found herself as suddenly changed as we found her like you know next morning she should be dead on they weren't funny jokes she had a good time watching his misfortune uh but then the next morning like why can't i get that person out oh, of yeah. my head I mean, why like, can't i get this thing out of like yeah. i stay i stay up at night till 3 a.m thinking about the dumb shit i said in the day and i'm like i don't really care about that thing, yeah. but it's just stuck in my head i mean like like i'll do you one further right like i agree with griffin that is a crucial scene she was in love with him before he walked into that right. restaurant True. right like that's and it's largely on the strength of their meat cutes before yeah. um Lines like this spicy number. I'm interested in the shortest distance between these two points. Must you flirt? Yeah, amazing line. Uh, and then and then he says, "I think it's I think it's natural." And then she says, "Suppress it." Yeah. Which, uh, by the way, Whoa. that was uh, nominated for this AFI's dialogue. hundred best lines. Of I all think time. it got like yep. number thirty or something. Yeah. It was pretty wild. It's really good. Um, oh, nice. That scene is full of amazing lines. I, I like. I just like her calling the butler little father. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's the best scene in the movie, right? And that comes back a few times, yeah, right? Where, yeah. where yeah, the yeah. count like calls him little father to yeah. shoo him out of the yeah. room. Yep. Go to bed, little father. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so I, I liked her, her... Oh, boy. Sorry in, in advance. This is the weeb. Uh, I liked that she was a Sundari Sundari. Oh, in, the, yes. in the first act of this movie. Uh, and that, that she, she was, even after she uh, was in love with him, she was sort of um, like frustrating his attempts to... Should, get her to admit her attraction. Should we explain the concept? No, we don't need to do that. Nope. Well, uh, is this a video game? Cody looks confused, and I feel like other people might feel confused, it's, too. It's the obvious romantic comedy trope of, of the woman or man uh, who is clearly in love with the protagonist but is pretending not to be or is being stubborn about it. Oh, uh, and in, instead has a sort of, like, kid in elementary school, like, bullying or, um, like, obviously bothered by relationship with the person often they don't themselves know that they're in love with the mm-hmm. which is what jason said before um, um we should talk about uh that scene with the laughing is a it's like cody referenced it's metatextual right where like the thing about greta garbo this was this was meta casting from the start is that she was stoic mm-hmm. as a as a rule and so seeing her in this stoic role was was in keeping with who she was as a character uh, as a character actress i guess um and and so seeing her poke fun at that persona that she had developed uh, was very rewarding for an audience of the time, I would imagine. Obviously not for us because we're ignoramuses, or at least yeah. I am, and I haven't seen Greta Garbo in very many other movies. Um, but then that that Greta laughs scene in the uh, diner and the subsequent shift of her character towards somebody who's more effervescent and more... Um, uh, 
jovial is uh was like a big draw for this movie to the point where like cody said it's like lit- it was literally the tag like it was the um marketing that they would mm-hmm. was like you'll get to see greta garbo the, the famously stoic actress laugh which mm-hmm. like how many movies could really do that Queen. effectively today <laughs> like wh- how, what, what if you went to like i don't know jurassic park th- jurassic world three and it's like chris pratt farts it's like it's not effective. <laughs> it's just like it's a new log line. Like what? I'm trying to think of ways that you could. There's not a scene in Parks and Rec where he's not at least assumed to be farting. So you can hear not... it underneath the audio track. <laughs> it's ADR'd in later. It doesn't work the same. I would say like Tommy Lee Jones, like if he was just cracking up. Yo, yeah. What a yeah. That's might... pretty good. That's, that's a pretty good comparison. He's today's Greta Garbo. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I... I'm trying to think. <laughs> Tommy laughs. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, I have you seen those Japanese Boss Coffee commercials with Tommy Lee Jones as an alien? No, uh, I don't think so. Everybody should look what? those up. They're phenomenal. <laughs> he's uh, he's an alien entity who loves Boss Coffee, who's teaching a group of elementary school Japanese students, and he has alien abilities, um, and he's trying to fit in, and he loves Boss Coffee. <laughs> this is uh, the most Mad Libs thing I've heard in a long time. They're my favorite Tommy Lee Jones in the world. selling coffee as an alien. <laughs> <laughs> Audience of elementary age children. Um, that's mm, so. Oh so after all this happens, and we start to see their spiral into like a, a, a really cute, loving relationship, um, she is then sent back all of a sudden to Russia, uh, which then changes the tenor of the movie uh, pretty pretty heavily in the last like thirty to forty five minutes, um, where we're like transplanted from bright sunny Paris to uh, really dour. Uh, dimly lit Soviet Russia under Stalin. Um, and it's the first time that Stalin's face is seen in the movie. Uh, really tellingly, actually, I think that like we don't know. It's implied, but never made explicit that it's Stalin's Russia. They referenced um, the uh, the trials early on mm-hmm. for a joke, uh, which implies sort of a, a very specific period of yeah. the Soviet Union's but it's, history. But it's neat. <laughs> neat is a weird word to say, but it's neat that they could conjure the geist of Stalin era Russia before um, like pretty heavily before even showing his face before saying his name anywhere yeah uh, and then uh, it, it, like it becomes a much sadder movie um, because we then see a complete inversion of the two um, of the two of the worlds of uh, like capitalist Paris yes. as a bright and sunny place with maybe like dastardly people to now Soviet Russia with a really, really jo- like fun-loving, wonderful person who is limited by the place that she it's, lives. It's a shift that makes the polemic themes of the movie, the polemic political themes of the movie explicit, right? Like it, it's in a, in a sort of similar way to the bombing of um, Poland in World War II. During Act 3 of this movie, they say, like, now we are going to directly depict the regime that we had been alluding to. Um and uh, I think, like Griffin, you you had said, I think that the third act of this movie loses me. Um, hmm. I, I think it's it's like easily the least strong part of this movie because, like Griffin said, like I don't know that they ever really reconcile their their differences in a particularly satisfying way. Um, other than that, they're in love. Uh, there's a scene where Leon punches out a uh, um, Soviet. Um, tour, uh, or, uh, visa, yeah. which is like like maybe the most direct uh, part of this movie that that politically uh, ceased to jive. Which like 
by the way, like that's a that's a weird criticism to level at a movie from 1937. Like you can critique the fucking Soviet Union in 1937, <laughs> and like like critique Stalin's Russia as much as you want, right? Like I'm not trying to say that, but it, that was just a weird part of the movie where like it was clearly supposed to be Indiana Jones hawking a Nazi, and we're all cheering about it, and it was weird to see that sort of subsume Leon's character arc instead of like having him be a more empathetic, open person. It was like, oh, no, instead I'm going to use violence to get what I want here in this yeah. weirdly extended scene. And I, I think that that carries over and, and that it's it sort of muddies the water, and I don't think that they bring out the victory, um, Lubitsch's victory sort of of using romantic comedy to um, address and reconcile with complex political notions which is so ambitious but like i don't think he, he quite gets there you don't think the, he passes the baton the into the movie. third act uh that's my major problem with it i don't know how do you well, all feel about the the end of this movie i, I was just gonna say i'm a rube so i like a 90 minute movie and this one pushes two hours and you you, you feel it a little bit uh, that's what i love about to be or not to be in chapter on the corner they move like fucking like they just really move and this one is I, I I love this movie I, I do but it doesn't move the way they do and uh, you do feel it like for instance with the jewels the the way that that wraps up is not um, super satisfying or interesting to me like there's just that scene with the Grand Duchess and I'm kind of actually I've seen this twice it's not that confusing but I'm a little confused about what happened to those to the jewels yeah. Yeah. Did they get back to the death? I'm forgetting now. Uh, she re- she got them back, but I but I don't. It, after the night that Ninochka was so drunk that she left the safe open, and they were just trying shit on, uh, trying on the jewels and stuff, and having fun. And then he left, and then the jewels were not there. So I assume that you imagine like they have to concoct a fight for these lovers so that they can get back together. That's how things work now. It's not really exactly how this one works though, um, because she doesn't assume that he took them and gave them to the Grand Duchess. Wasn't it the, so, the butler? Who, is it the butler? Yeah, okay. I, 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 the butler who was in the room and then um, Always Le- butler. Leon and Nanachka like, came in and he was kind of leaving and eyeing them strangely. The and class I, traitor. Yeah, and I, I, I think the Grand Duchess uh, said something. She had like eyes and ears uh, on Got them it. like uh, that night or, or something and insinuates him. Thank you. Well, either way, it's just kind of not that interesting yeah, right i agree so the resolution of the main plot of the ostensibly a plot is uh not not satisfying Shaky, i think we can all yeah. agree with that because we yeah. kind of forgot what even happened well and it's so fragmented right like the the a plot sort of gives way to a uh um like will they ever see each other again plot in the third act when yeah. Nanochka's forced right. back to the soviet union then there, there's that sort of that's the sort of escalating drama and tension that replaces entirely the MacGuffin mm. of the first two acts and it's not as compelling right mm. I just it's th- not I, th- I think it, it again it like what it lacks in its plot it's offloading onto Nanachka almost exclusively like there's a moment where uh, one of Nanachka's housemates uh, in Russia has I think it's her honeymoon or like wedding night or engagement or something like that um, and Ninochka has brought with her the finest silk nightgown 
uh, from Paris, and uh, and they're both marveling at it, and she just freely yep. gives it. Which she is says, not, it's yours forever. That's It's like, absurd to think that the Nanachka at the beginning of this movie would have done that, right? Like, that's right. extremely clearly establishing that, like, this is who Nanachka is now. You have seen the completion of her character arc. Well, yeah. and it's like a an amalgam, right? Because she's not keeping it for herself. She's not, like, possessing the thing. She is literally giving it to somebody right. who needs it more than her. And, and she sings with... Um, Kapalski, Bulianov, and Ironov, mm-hmm. uh, and she she loves them and can empathize with them as people. Right. There's, there's a really interesting through. I, sorry, this is uh, there's a really interesting through line where Nanachka can't actually relate to the people that she purports to be representing as the as the working class communist until the end of this movie. There's a there's like a really interesting through line and instruction behind like like even socialist principles about needing to be a person yourself in order to mm-hmm. like relate to them because like like her her attempts to relate to the working class are comedic in the first two acts of this movie where like she calls the butler little father she goes into this working class diner and like she's so weird to them mm-hmm. that, that she's freaking them out where like she'll sit down and she asks for like I'll have beets, like, and, beets a, and carrots yeah. and he's like ma'am this is a fucking diner like can you just <laughs> man this is a Wendy's yeah <laughs> um, whereas like by the end of the movie she has an actual relationship and rapport with the people around her mm-hmm. that she didn't before because she's able to experience joy herself and having mm-hmm. those emotions allows her to see them reflected in other people uh, it's awesome it is that, it's that beautiful. part's awesome it's beautiful yeah. um, and it's it's again foiled by this I don't know if it's their landlord or just like the person another person in the building the secret who, like, police yeah. the secret, who's, who's it's intimated is um, is a member of the secret police and whenever he comes by there's like this low uh, clarinet music that sort of plays like this uh, bump 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 uh, that like persists throughout his whole scene walking through their room to get to wherever he's going um, and they're all like they're depressed before and we'll just during and immediately after his presence uh, where like that was Ninochka at the beginning of the movie right absolutely yep she was the cop yeah literally I mean that was her employment was to, right um, so I just to cap that thought I I think that because everything is an inversion, obviously like an exaggerated inversion, but an inversion from the beginning of the movie, I think that that final act, those those last 30 minutes that, that Griffin's saying like maybe could have been trimmed, I think those still work, for, not trimmed, but like could have been less of a lull. They still work for me because of that, because like I, I, I think, OK, we're winding down last few miles of the road. And now, like, remember where we started. And and because it's wonderful to see Ninochka's yeah. character arc, right? Like, she's just a great character played by a great actress. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's like, fantastic to see that character. Um, yeah. That's it, – it, like uh, Griffin said, I think it's a shame that, that Leon doesn't have a character arc that is equal to that. Um, it is. And I, I think it's maybe a little bit because this movie is going for something a little bit more explicitly political in its criticisms of Stalin's Russia, which, again, are founded and work well into the themes of this movie. But they do a, a disservice to his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Like, his transformation is not political, but maybe if I had been looking for it, it's just about he begins the movie as this sort of gigolo who doesn't. No, that doesn't really work, though. He's he's a romantic. I was going to say he doesn't believe in love and then he falls in love, but it's not true. He's a romantic. He gives that whole speech about yeah. Uh, yeah, how well, at midnight half of Paris is making love to the other half of Paris. All-timer line. Also You're, nominated for AFI's top Oh, really? Quotes. Nice. Yeah. And then later on, it's uh, at 10 o'clock, and he says, uh, at this point, uh, half of Paris is asking the other half, so what are you doing tonight? <laughs> Which is a really <laughs> funny callback. Uh, I like that. 
Yeah, it's so yeah. good. Um, there's there's an argument to be made, if I'm being extremely generous, that I sort of saw um, about that speech that Griffin just brought up, that that was his line, right? Like, like you kind of get the feeling yeah, yeah. that like, that's his, like, that's his, like, playboy playbook mm. is to say shit like that to get the Nanachkas of the world to sleep with him and then he comes to really believe it himself because Nanachka imbues upon him a soul <laughs> which like <laughs> is is the arc that you see this movie striving for right? right is that like oh like I actually care about other people now because of this person I've actually fallen in love with and right, right. yeah but he does, it doesn't really do it like I don't think the movie really makes it for him hmm in that same scene, she asks him, what do you do to better the world? And he's like, never, clearly never considered uh, that. And again, I see that from his perspective. It's it's sort of a funny question to ask in small talk. So you're kind of laughing at her. But the truth is, you should have at least thought about it maybe once in your life. And he clearly hasn't. So by the end, there's something to that. Um yeah, like my my favorite scene in Griffin's uh, favorite scene in the apartment is remarkable to me and somewhat radical because like I think that you are able to sympathize with uh, Ninochka's point of view at least as much as Leon's, which hmm. again, like in a in a lesser movie, that would be absurd, right? Like like when when Leon does the thing where he's he's like pointing at how beautiful Paris is and she is reticent to agree with him i understood why she was reticent right like like in my mind i was like oh she is thinking about how those lights and those beautiful sights are predicated on the suffering of the people who make them happen <laughs> and like the fact that i was able to think that and sympathize with it while still understanding leon's point um is extremely sophisticated and um, makes the argument that I suspect Lubitsch wanted to make with this movie, which is that you can have nuanced uh, arguments and that, in fact, romantic comedies are maybe not only not a subpar means of exploring those psychologies and those um, themes, but are, in fact, a really great way to do that. Um, another thing, like we talked about that, that amazing scene with um, Grand Duchess Swana um, and Nanachka, where... Um, Swana asks her, have you ever worn a dress like that before? And and Nanachka says some truly wild shit like uh like, oh no, this this would have been unbecoming when the um the Bolsheviks were beating strips into my back with their switches. And uh and then Swana says some shit like uh yeah, it was a it was a terrible mistake to uh, beat you with switches when we had so many guns right there, and it's like holy fucking shit, movie. Uh, and uh, that 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 scene exists to make you sympathize with the original cause of the Soviet Union, right? Like it that was like, oh yeah, we got to get these people the fuck out of here yeah. because they're beating us to death. Um, again, like oh, oh right, no, I think about Swana all the time when I think oh the movie's all about stripping her of her. Uh, ideology and making her see the, the the goodness of materialism, but the truth is that the the only real villain in the movie, besides the regime, I guess, but is Swana, who represents you know everything that Ninochka opposes in the beginning of the movie. So it's it's just it's more complicated than it looks on the. That's so exactly yeah, right. Definitely. It's like in in a movie that was actually about capitalism, not so bad, in the words of our boy Melchior. Um, <laughs> There would be no reason to include a Grand Duchess Swan. Right. Her entire purpose is to create a foil that makes us sympathize with Nanachka and therefore to see some validity in where Nanachka is coming from. 
Um, and I was able to derive that from this movie in a way that I did not suspect the movie would have the um, interest in right. demonstrating, uh, which is radical and really cool. I, I particularly like, I think it's just following that scene after um, both Ninochka and the Count have too much champagne that night. Uh, and they head back to his room or hers, whatever, and they drink more. And uh, and and she's like, I, I've done I've done such terrible things to deserve. Like you should put me up against the wall. And it's that and gag uh, with I'm, the napkin. I I will. No one is allowed to be this happy. I will be punished, and I deserve to be punished. She's <laughs> like, holy shit, the biggest of moods. <laughs> it's it's just such a good like come down from that scene, uh, from the incredible tension of that scene. If I had to pick, like, a moment of the Lubitsch touch, it's probably that transition from, like, the very, like, like these barbs that are being tra- – legitimate barbs, very angry things being said in a very casual situation uh, being led into, like, again, like, softening it with comedy. Um, I didn't – I don't know how the world feels about Slavoj Žižek, the philosopher. I know that he's very easy to make fun of. Um but he wrote about uh, Ernst Lubitsch um, a few years back, and uh, and part of that, part of like his argument about that is that uh, like what Lubitsch did was poke fun at things and use humor to address things that were too like too recent, too hot to take seriously, like too hot to be considered tragic. Uh, like instead, att- like approach them with humor to process them. And it. Oh, that's a really interesting argument. Like almost, I, I, a, I don't know. If um, it, I don't know if that's true or it works, but that's like a magical realist sense where sort it's of. like it, it's, these things are too terrible to tackle head on. Mm-hmm. We have to at do least it with in a, the moment, like in 1942 in Warsaw, like a year after the, uh, the, the Holocaust uh, begins. Ca- capitalist models <laughs> depicted <laughs> in this, time, in this film is. It's not a very good Zizek. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a very good. <laughs> oh, yeah, you just have to sniff a lot. Uh, have you ever seen his uh, Kung Fu Panda? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he has like a video interview where he talks about how much he likes the movie Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Kung Fu Panda. It's like my favorite <laughs> shit. Uh, that's another weird recommendation on YouTube for you. I cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know how we got here. Um, I don't know. That might be my my thoughts about Nanachka. Is does anybody have any like winding down thoughts, Phil or Griffin? Is that I keep wanting to call you Philip? I'm so sorry, um, Griffin. <laughs> no, it's okay. Is that one of your uh, like? Do you have any anything else that you thought about this movie that we didn't bring up? Not really. Outstanding is just that Leon looks like Rooney from Ferris Bueller. I don't know if that <laughs> struck your God. Yes. Sometimes they like gaze into each other's eyes and they do a close up on his face and. While he's not an unattractive man, it's just like I don't know. I just... It's like when when Leon's <laughs> trying to be funny and when Rooney is trying to be like clever, they both have this same like, "Ooh, I'm really like I'm hot shit" face. I see that. <laughs> I. This is that that that's probably as good a place as I need to get out of this. Probably. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, why don't you rank the uh, Lubitsch movies you've seen so far? Can you do that right off the right off the cusp? Yeah, probably. I, it's I lo- I just love Shop Around the Corner. It's probably j- like I think that and To Be or Not to Be are the two best, but I prefer Shop because it's a romantic comedy kind of through and through. Um I so that that's like top 2. And then Ninochka and uh Trouble in Paradise. I I I equally love. That one's 80 minutes. So. Uh-huh. Oh shit. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, perfect. 
This is you'll notice that my ranking is just the shortest to long. No. <laughs> you're pre- you're and, preaching uh, to the choir. We uh, we're big fans of the 86 minute movie. Here. Oh man, uh, Rashomon. Rashomon's 86, 86 minutes, minutes long. long. You're not better than Rashomon. So what are you doing being longer than Rashomon? Uh, I bring it up on every episode, but you were never really here. Is like 75, 75 78 minutes. It's basically minutes long. a TV special. Yeah, it's wow. it's incredible. Yeah, we like that. And then um, Heaven Can Wait, I maybe just need to try again. It just didn't hit me the same way the rest of them have because I, I, I truly love everything that I've seen by him except for that one, and I don't know what it was. So we'll see. But I've got a lot of work to do. Righteous. As do we. I plan to watch more. Uh, yeah. I yeah. don't know how many more the Trilon is playing. Trilon is showing Shop Around the Corner, but it's on Christmas and the 26th, which might make it untenable for yeah, most of for us me. to see. Yeah, yeah, for you, certainly. Um, I can't think of... I think they're doing one more. It, it is, uh, they are showing Heaven Can Wait, I believe. Cool. And I can't wait? Can wait? Yeah, don't take my word on that. It's like regarded as one of his masterpieces, so I don't, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Nice. Uh, Griffin, this is where we're going to give you a chance to uh, plug, talk about things that you want to share, you want people to see that you do or have done. Um, personally, I I subscribed to a, um, a, a rom-com review email distribution that you did. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's very nice. Uh, yeah, I a few months ago started a project of watching romantic comedies by decades so starting in the 2010s do one movie and then jump back to the 2000s the 90s 80s and just do one movie from each decade that uh, could be considered a romantic awesome comedy. And so i got to the 70s and that's where things have stalled at the moment okay but to be picked up in the next uh, week or so i think i'll get my next post up and then uh I'll keep going from Was that, everybody but... just too depressed in the 70s to make any romantic comedies? Was it just McCabe and Mrs. <laughs> I got, Miller? I got the 70s. I did uh, oh. What's Up, Doc. Oh, okay. Hmm. Uh, from 72. 72. What is what is your uh, what is that called? How can people find that? Oh, yeah. It's uh, tinyletter.com slash my name, Griffin Philippich, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-F-I-L-L-I-P-I-T-C-H. Uh if you want. And then I also do a podcast with my friend Tony Wagner called Anytime Minutes. Uh, similarly in a state of disrepair, but you could go back and listen to old episodes and we've got new ones coming soon. Did you give us, did you drop your at or do you not want that? No. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Griffin underscore F I L L. All right. We're going to link I'm that. Tweeting. We're going to link the hell out of that, man. You're going to get so <laughs> many subscribers. We've got 57 <laughs> followers. and 57? So, Last time I checked, it was 55. Hell yeah. Yeah. Meteor. That's, That's great. Uh, can I end or, or wind us down on a really like sour note? Yeah. Um, I, I just have one notey. Um, oh, no. And that's... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's time for Cody's notey. No, we don't have to. Uh, and I'm kind of cheating a little bit. Uh, this is not about Ninochka. This is more about a, a sort of retconning our episode of To Be or Not To Be. Um, I realized soon after recording that we missed uh, a, a big we – miss, we missed a huge opportunity to talk about um, the tragedy of uh, Carol Lombard's um, yeah. demise. Um, so she did not live to see – the release of To Be or Not To Be. Uh, that movie came out in 1942. And uh, that January, she was uh, she went home to Indiana for a war bond rally. And her plane uh, ended up crashing 
just outside um, Mount Pelosi, Nevada, um, according to Wikipedia. Fucking um, Pelosi sh- does it again. Sorry, <laughs> that was an inappropriate joke. I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, she and 20 other people perished, Harry. Um, she, uh, Pelosi's arguing. The death counts. She, uh, she passed away uh, at the age of 33. Um, Rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, um, she's great. She, She's uh, amazing in that movie, and it's terrible yeah. that that I, happened. I also failed to mention Carol Lombard was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, not far from where I uh, spent much of my glory hound. You've never been to Indiana. Fort Wayne, what are you Fort Wayne Indiana, also home to uh, The Office star Jenna Fisher. Hey. She was also born there. Nice. Uh, the, this has – I'm so sorry, Griffin. This has no bearing on anything that you might care about. It's your show. <laughs> Great point. Well, I was actually <laughs> going to say uh, Lubitsch died at 55. Oh, man. Wow. I don't know why. Uh, Nobody and, knows. And Greta Garbo oh, re- retired. Oh, I was going to say her early. career died. She, Ooh, she retired early. Apparently on, like, not great, but at least her own terms sort of thing. She wasn't, like, ousted from Hollywood. She just kind of gave up. Um, uh, there's a lot. Like, most of this document that I printed out is just things that I thought were cool about Greta Garbo. Uh, she that, seems very cool. She does seem pretty cool. Like, she was pretty cool. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I, I didn't want to take the, the, the air out of following Griffin on stuff. Y'all should do that. Um, what's, he's what's, really cool. What's what's the um, – you always have something cool to say as we're leading out. Oh, I, I got, can I hear got that one. cool music. Should we say goodbye first? I'm Harry. I think so. <laughs> uh, I'm Jason. Uh, Griffin, you, can you say goodbye for us? Goodbye. Thanks again for having me. This is a lot of fun. No, this was great. Thank you for being on. Uh, sorry if it was a little stilted, but we will uh, we will definitely try to have you on again. <laughs> what a fun thing to say about the podcast that we're currently recording. <laughs> Uh, I've been Cody. Go to bed, little father. <laughs>